152 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Yo, yo, what up, golf fans? Welcome into the Preferred Lines live stream and podcast. My name is Joe Idoni at Tour Picks on Twitter. Um, welcome in. We are going to talk about the largest purse in the history of golf this week for the Players' Championship, um, the fifth major. I've got a guest here along my side to, to help me break down the full odds board for this week. Uh, we're going to go over our favorite plays, but first we're going to start with some questions uh, recapping sort of last week and what we saw at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. If you are joining this show, thank you. Um, I appreciate the hell out of you. Please go over to the Preferred Lines YouTube page and give this like a subscription. Drop something in the comments. Would love to hear your questions for this week. And also, I can't not mention, uh, I am doing a giveaway for this show special for the Players' Championship. If you look right over my shoulder there, there it is. Uh, TPC Sawgrass 1994 Tiger Woods epic poster that I have right there. I'm going to give one away. I have it like right here. It's in this. It's already in a tube. It's already bound up. It's actually bigger than the one that I have back there, but that one fit my frame. So I'm going to give that one away to someone in the comments at the end of the show tonight. Um, as always, we are presented by the Fantasy Golf Pod. My buddies Chad, Eric Jish do the show live on Wednesdays. They already have some first look stuff and good content out there. Give them a follow at fantasy golf pod okay we ready to do this here's what we got on tap for tonight bring the guest in in one second ask him a few questions we're going to do a quick course preview we will get into the odds board q a segment after that and then i will do some final thoughts uh, let's go ahead and bring him to the tee welcoming back in for the third or fourth time extra recurring guest uh one of my favorite people to have on the show and favorite people in life in general he welcomed me into his home and welcoming him back virtually into mine the one and only founder of rickrungood.com cbs sports very own welcome back rick gaming what up dude <laughs> hey brother it's good to it's good to see you on a monday we were joking like we usually do our wednesday night thing we're moving it up early i've got like more energy early in the week let's let's do it this is fun <laughs> yeah it's it's fun to do it early let's see wednesdays we're kind of like digesting everything from the week and then yeah. sort of giving our final stance um it's nice earlier in the week to kind of while we work through sort of developing some of those thoughts um, in the players championship, like what more can we say? $25 million on the line, TPC Sawgrass. We know the carnage that it always brings. Um, what do you have sort of on tap and your expectations for what we're about to see this week? Uh, my expectations are both grand and very low, right? In terms of what we're going to get zooming out 30,000 foot view, like this is probably one of the most recognizable golf courses on planet earth, especially with the Island green 17. You've got the huge purse. You've got the great field. As you mentioned, the volatility, the, the closing stretch is going to be awesome, but on a more micro basis, like I wouldn't be surprised if anybody missed the cut, right? And, and we've got some real star power that never misses cuts that are playing some of the best golf of their lives right now. But the, the, the nature of the beast is you hit a couple in the water, you get out of position, you find yourself going home on, on, on Friday afternoon. So th this is really a difficult one to handicap, but I'm, I'm excited to kind of chat through it with you. 
you mentioned anyone can miss the cutout here. Nobody is exempt. I have in my notes looking back 2019. This wasn't even like a wild, crazy weather year. 16 of the top 32 players in terms of the odds boards missed the cut that year. Um, before we totally shift gears into the players, I want to just touch base with you on what we saw at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Um, Kurt Kitayama, man, the ability to sort of make triple bogey, rebound off of that and stand on a leaderboard with Goliath. Um, was something that was very unique to see, especially with some of the, you know, I know Kurt would have been in the field, but we got this news drop that some of the fields may be shortening. We're kind of tightening the reins on some of the no cut stuff in terms of the PGA tour scheduling. Um, but it is nice to see the depth that we know is out there on the PGA tour and how any of these guys can show up any week on a leaderboard with Rory and Scheffler and Hovland and Hatton and still compete and still make a compelling story out of winning that event. Yeah. A couple of things. I mean, we see every week, uh, we saw it in Phoenix. We saw it at Riviera. You get guys that contend with the big boys. You get guys that contend with the Goliaths, uh, but David doesn't usually hoist a trophy on Sunday night. Kurt Kitayama did. And you mentioned not only the triple that he made earlier in the round, Joe, Saturday, Saturday is front nine. He goes out and three over. And when you've got a guy who's never won on the PGA tour before, uh, sleeping on the 36 hole lead, trying to get it done for the first time. And he makes three bogeys on his outward nine on Saturday. It's see you later time. It's ejection. It's we're never going to see you in coverage again. Not Kirk Kitayama, right? Backs it up, plays well on his second nine on Saturday. We saw everything that unfolds on Sunday, and he, he rolls one in on 17 to give himself the, the breathing room that he needs. I mean, it, it's really hard to describe how impressive it was because we're we just every week, Joe, we see that guy falter on Sunday. We see that guy disappear, and Kitayama didn't do it as the game's best lined up behind him. Yeah, and it was, you're right, it was unique to see this elevated event, which we had seen that the power and, and sort of the dragons of the PGA Tour continue to slay those events. So it was nice to see a little breakup in that. I want to ask you about some post-round comments that I found intriguing from Mr. PGA Tour King Rory McIlroy. Um, he said... The lead changing hands with bogeys and not necessarily birdies. Um, he, he doesn't know that that's great for entertainment value. You agree? Rory is rarely wrong. Rory, very wrong here. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think that is a little bit of, of, of projection. Rory likes to make birdies. These guys like to make birdies. They like to move up the leaderboard by rolling in putts and giving you the fist pump. But uh, this is, it, it's kind of out of character, right? I mean, we see 30 weeks a year where you've got to make birdies and pars you're losing ground to get a U.S. Open or to get the, the the conditions that we got at Bay Hill last week where these guys are hanging on and missing a fairway is an actual penalty and three putts are in play. Like, yeah, I love it. Let's go. I don't know if I would. I mean, what was the winning score? Nine under? It was the same score we had Friday night. Uh, same score we had Saturday night. Same score we had Sunday night. Like, that's a really good winning score. You've got to be sharp. You, you can still get a couple in under par. We saw, uh, you know, cracks at Eagle, but like, Nah, Rory, I, he's he's so good at everything. He he got he got one thing wrong. That's okay. Yeah, he missed. He complained about this <laughs> event last year. Eight to twelve under par is like chef's kiss, sweet spot for me. And like, look, if you want to talk about the entertainment value from a casual fan, like par is good. Par is a good score. It was so nice to see like so many par fours play 
to just that was a good score for you and you didn't have to make birdie. And at the same token, it's all relative because everyone in the field is playing the exact same course at the same time. Um, it's whoever makes the best number. So that's where I thought he was a little bit off base there. He also made some comments about um, leaderboard watching and how that it changed his strategy down the stretch, which I also found interesting in saying that had he known how close or that he was in the lead at the time, he maybe would have pulled a different club on a tee. Um, I've seen some comments back and forth both ways on this, that that should not affect you as a player and you should play the course either way. Where do you kind of stand on that fence of wanting to know what's going on at all times? Yeah, th th this one's, this one's pretty tough. I'm an information guy. I, I like to know everything that's happening, but I, I know that not all of these guys are, and it's actually, it's a gift and a curse for Rory, right? There, it, you know, he is in contention so often that he sometimes doesn't have to look at leaderboards, right? And sometimes he will, and sometimes he doesn't. And it's kind of this thing where, yeah, he's just going to go out and play good golf and and see where the chips fall. Um, I, I think the big thing that people miss, especially when they're watching it on TV, is, is there are these really natural ebbs and flows in a golf tournament that you can feel. Like when you're out there, and I, I was lucky enough to walk with Rory in Phoenix and walk with him at Riviera late, and, and he wasn't in contention of those, but like when you're with Rom and you're with Scotty, like you feel the tournament around you and you generally have a pretty good sense of where you are. I think Rory probably had a pretty good sense of where he was, except he, he, he got it wrong. You know, he was actually what tied for the lead instead of being behind. It was 14 that he referred to, in which instead of trying to hit that big high draw into that back left pin location and try to make a two um he probably just should have tried to make a three and played something a little bit safer to the middle of the green i i don't want to fault him for that because you're in the moment and you're trying to stay in the moment you don't know how many more birdies that you need but um it was interesting to hear how he would have likely changed his strategy if you knew where the where his uh where his positioning was yeah, I guess where I stand on it is I think that you should have sort of a plan and and stick to it. I think is probably the way to go. Like I loved seeing the discussion between Kitayama and his and his I believe new caddy Tim Tucker Tim on Tucker. 18 both on the tee and when they got to that rough. And I was actually watching it with my wife cuz she was she couldn't she saw the ball bury. She's like he's done. But Tucker got up to that ball and almost took the decision making out of Kurt Kitayama's hands and kind of just told him what to do. And he was like, these are your numbers. I like this shot. This is where you're going to hit it. And Kurt pushed back a little bit, but ultimately signed that they sort of agreed on thing. But I think that that was a huge influence on him there in yeah. a more than positive way. And he executed that shot into the green to perfection to give himself a chance to two putt. I think you're absolutely right that I think what you just described is exactly what happened. I think that is a lot easier if you are Tim Tucker to Kurt Kitayama than if you are Harry Diamond to Rory McIlroy. 100 percent. That makes a ton of sense. Um, well, how about, you know, I'm going to give credit to to Andy here who writes uh, incredible content over at RickRunGood.com. The course previews are always spot on, but he nailed this, Rick, like two years ago with this dude, Chris Flynn, who was I believe that I'm getting a name right. The new superintendent at Bay Hill, who's right. in charge of course setup. This guy has should be the absolute has created the model in terms of course setup. In my opinion, it's difficult. It's challenging. There's birdies everywhere. And this is an exact example of how you make a golf course difficult. 17 is not an overly long hole that played so difficult. 16 is like a long par four. I mean, these guys had like 
wedge nine iron into 16 and down the stretch how many of them did not make birdie on that hole when they could have um had ended up making par hatton i believe hovland bogeyed it um Rory tapped in, but Kitayama actually three putted that hole. But I think it's a it's a great model in terms of PGA Tour setups and how to push the limits and challenge these guys. And yes, you may have the you know world number two player in the world, you know, be a little bit upset about it. But from a fan perspective and from a growing the game perspective, I can't I haven't seen the the ratings from Sunday, but I can't imagine there was a more heavily watched PGA Tour final round since maybe like the Open Championship. You'd have to go back like almost a half a year. Yeah, I think that the lost in like the distance discussion, we always talk about, oh my God, these guys are hitting it too far. They're they're just destroying these golf courses. We have to do something about the equipment. I think lost in that conversation is how these golf courses are actually being set up because there is a way to mitigate a lot of distance. Uh, it is generally via firm and fast conditions. That The, the, the two things that uh, can really stop the top players from going super low is firm and fast. Now, there's not always a luxury of being able to do that depending on weather and your region and stuff like that. But yeah, the, there are setups and ways that you can challenge these golfers that are not like just make this course 8,000 yards or just make the rough five inches thick. You know what I mean? Like there, there are different ways to do it if you're strategic on that side of things as opposed to the cookie cutter PGA Tour setup where, you know, 25 under par is going to have to win the golf tournament. Right. And they'll talk about it. The players will talk about whether they like uh, difficult scoring conditions or they don't like Rory obviously likes birdie fest. You look at the ones, he's, but he also finished second here. Um, players like I think a Will Zalatoris comes to mind where he kind of has this narrative of hard golf course and he's brought it up himself. Right. Will has mentioned that he likes difficult scoring conditions. He didn't finish very good at like they have their sort of preferences, but ultimately when trying to like assess this from a handicapping perspective and predict who can win, do you think it matters if they like the hard courses, if they prefer it, um, or is it ultimately just a test against the rest of the field? Yeah, not much. And I actually kind of separate out, um, you know, easy courses and tough courses. I actually like to say like, is it a fair golf course, right? Fair golf courses reward great shots and punish bad shots. Fair golf courses do that. To, to me, the most fair golf course I've seen in the last five years was Royal Melbourne for the president's cup, right? Like you, it was hard. It was firm. It was fast. If you had a good shot, you were rewarded for it. If you did not, you were punished for it. And, and, and the worst shot, you, the more, the, the, the more bad your shot was, the more bad your result was, right? Like that's, that's kind of the idea of what a, what a fair golf course is. And I think for the most part, Bay Hill's pretty fair. There's a couple of spots where you can hit a, you know, 77th percentile shot and get a 23rd percentile outcome or something like that. But otherwise, I, I think that's really the thing for me, Joe, when it's, when it comes down to handicapping is, is this a fair golf course or is, is this one that's a little bit unfair, a little bit more volatile, kind of like what we're seeing this week. I would not necessarily categorize TPC Sawgrass as like the most fair course in the world. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you next. But when you said that, it got me thinking like, okay, is there a course that, um, rewards, especially down the stretch at Sawgrass, like will reward really bold, right. bold, but really good shots, yes. but also will super penalize bad shots. Like I think of the par five 16th, like that's an eagle hole. You hit a really good shot from about 220 yards and you're going to have a great look at eagle and a chance to take control of the tournament. You hit a really bad shot and you're going to struggle for bogey. Now that gap in sort of variance on a really good shot versus a really bad shot 
at Riviera maybe is not that wide, right? right? Because maybe you're likely to still probably make par either way on a par long on a par five. Here, there's a four shot gap of whether you can really execute that shot or not. So, isn't it is it kind of strange to you that the top players aren't haven't provided themselves any separation at this event, or is it just the magnitude of how much you have to do it over and over again that eventually catches them slipping? Yeah, just like a lot of little margins, a lot of little edges. That's an interesting thought process. You're right. I mean, you know, two examples. The the third hole at Riviera, if you are one yard off the fairway or 35 yards off the fairway, it is the same exact result. You know, the the shot that Ricky Fowler hit uh, infamously in the playoff here at at, uh, the 17th at TPC Sawgrass, you know, if if he is one yard right of where that ends, uh, of where he eventually hit it, it's in the water. So that, that is a one yard difference between a shot to give yourself a great look at birdie or a shot where you are playing out of the drop. So like that's, that's the margin on those shots. And I do think you see these really polarized margins uh, a lot in Florida golf, quite honestly, because there is usually water and a penalty shot lurking for a miss, but really here, the Pete die kind of mental assault that he puts on some of these guys and being a little bit off can destroy the score very very quickly <laughs> mental assault that's a that's a great term for pete die okay so when when we get to florida rick um from a, i'm gonna ask you about a one and done perspective before we get into the sort of mm-hmm. odds board um i don't like playing the top guys here because i feel like they're so likely to miss a cut but this is a week with 25 million dollars on the line like are you considering using a Scheffler, using a Rory, using a Rom, using one of the top three guys because this is the absolute biggest payout a first place will pay all season or do you still worry like this isn't the best spot for them let me hold them to something where the floor is maybe like an eighth or ninth place finish this is this is the million dollar question or the four and a half million dollar question <laughs> this week yeah th- that's the problem the 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 most volatile golf courses also have the biggest purses um I tend to lean towards we've got to use our guys here, right? We're only going to get one crack at 25 million bucks. We're only going to get one crack at four and a half million. Uh, these elevated events are are going to determine your one and done outcomes. And I think that um, I, I will definitely, as long as I have one of them available, which I, I should at this point, I, I I will almost exclusively run out one of the big three, which will be Roy McElroy, John Romer, Scotty Scheffler. I just think that the opportunity uh, is too good to pass up. If I catch a miscut because Scotty finds the water a couple times, like at least I've got, I don't know, nine more elevated events to try to get it back. <laughs> and, and then the hope like, um, I don't know, Keith Mitchell wins and no, you know, somebody right. doesn't take the full four and a half million dollars. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to drop a couple of questions here from the chat for you, yeah. buddy. Let's All right. Um, for you are as, as data driven, as analytical as, as anyone I think in the industry. And it's what you sort of built the website on. Is this course history a thing at sawgrass um from us from a stat standpoint that you've seen some correlation so uh for sure but also no so so here's here's the problem it's really really strongly correlated for the ball strikers like very strongly correlated strokes gained off the Mm. tee strokes gained approach are our top stats when you put them together there's only a, a handful of golf courses on the pga tour where i would say are better ball striking courses than tpc sawgrass is so that's from one side of it that's very easy and clear to be able to draw some through lines from from those from those uh profiles to success here at tpc sawgrass 
success. The problem is the the repeat history, the 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 stickiness of these results is, is not very sticky. So you could have a great ball striker who misses a cut. I mean, Keegan Bradley is the only golfer who has played this event all five of each of the last five years and has played every round available to him. Like, think about that. Like, the, the, uh, there are guys who missed the cut. There are some guys who got MDF'd in 2017. It's just like there's only one guy. So, so yes, the, 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 there's a very strong type of golfer that should be able to have success around TPC Sawgrass, but um, taking the same guy year over year over year over year is probably not going to end very well for you. <laughs> Here's a good one from my guy, Tyler. Um, this doesn't just pertain to this week, but in general, who do you think gets the win first? A couple of guys with great course history at Sawgrass, by the way, that you just mentioned. Ricky or J-Day? Who's closer, in your opinion, to holding a trophy? Love what J-Day's doing. I, I think Ricky is more volatile to win a golf tournament. Um, you know, Jay day is going to pile up a bunch of top twenties, which is what he's been doing, but Ricky gaining four five, six strokes on approach. Like he has in the last couple of weeks, weeks gaining four with the putter. We saw him get really, really hot, um, at Zozo. We saw him get really, really hot at uh, CJ cup, uh, the year prior. Like he, I, I believe his upside is still higher than Jason days is. So I, I think it'll be Ricky who wins first again. I like that. Okay. Brian. When betting outrights, do you typically add placements for some, if not all? This is a weird one, Brian. Um, it comes down to the question that I've asked people before is like, is there a guy that is more likely, is, is a player any more likely in terms of relativity to top 40 or top 20 than he is to just outright win? I don't necessarily, th I think if you're playing really well, you're not thinking about top 20, top 40. It's all in how well you're playing. If, you, if you're if you 20 to 1 to win, those numbers should be sliced perfectly even down to the top 20, top 40, top 10 markets. I usually don't do that, Brian. Um, I usually bet strictly outrights. What about you, Rick? Yeah. So, so I, I'm kind of in the midst of one of my, one of my better years right now. And what I think I've, what I think I've done is I've really started to draw the line, Joe, on who I think can actually win golf tournaments. And mm. I, I think for a long time, I would look at somebody at a hundred to one and I'd be like, this is wrong. Like, there's no way he should be a hundred to one. He's way undervalued, but really he's like, he should be 50 to one which is yeah. still 2% of the time he's going to win the golf tournament. So it's like I, I've done a better job at actually finding guys who I think can win golf tournaments. So with that being said, um, what I what I've done is generally, you know, these these big guys, the guys that are under 50 to one or whatever, like I'm not going to back it up with any finishing positions. Um, the the guys that I might get at 100 or 120 or 150 to go out and back it up with like a top 10, still something that has a lot of upside, not so much backing it up with a top 40 or anything like that, but give me a chance if he's your 36-hole leader and fades to T8, which is a common occurrence for a lot of these guys. Yeah, it's a good point. All right, let's kick it over to the odds board in just a second. Before I do that, let me mention once again, the poster behind me, Sawgrass 1994, sweet Tiger Woods poster. He's got like a, a straw hat on and shorts. Uh, I am giving that away tonight. Make sure that you are subscribed to the PL YouTube channel. Hopefully you're watching that on there now. And in the comments, make sure you include like your handle so I know where to contact you. Uh, all you got to do is drop a contact. A comment in the uh, chat here on YouTube and make sure that you are subscribed to the channel and you will be entered and I will draw that winner shortly. Let's get to the board. 
All right, buddy. No surprise who's up top. John Rahm, 9-1 to one to win the Players' Championship, followed by Rory, the actual same price on the betting board. Uh, both of those numbers, the best available, it looks like on Odds Checker here, is not only a points bet, but DraftKings Sportsbook. Scotty Scheffler, 11-1. to one. Patrick Cantlay, 18-1. to one. Justin Thomas, 21. I'm even going to throw in Max Homa and loop him in with this crew at 22 to 1. Um, is this a tournament where you're okay going to the top of the board, given how great these, particularly the top three guys are playing? Or are you still looking to sort of build in that uh, 25 to 30 range? I have I have lived much closer to the top of the board now than I ever have. Um, the, the What we have seen in the last year, Joe, especially with the guys who left to left for live, is that that. 30 to 60, which used to win disproportionately is, is not the same anymore. It's not winning disproportionately and the top of these boards is, is winning like crazy. Um, I, I had John Rahm at, at Riviera that, that worked out very well. I had Rory McElroy last week, close, but no cigar. I, I do not think there is any reason to kind of turn my first click away from the top, which again is pretty out of, out of character for me. Um, historically, I, I think I circle Scotty Scheffler and say, you know, this is the best, uh, probably the best tee to green player in the world. He's got a floor, but he's also got a ceiling. If he gains two strokes with the putter, he probably wins the golf tournament. I have not made the bet yet, but I imagine a scenario in which Scotty Scheffler is my click at the top. Yeah, I'm circling Scotty too, man. Number one in greens and reg. He was the number one guy in the model that I ran, which is unusual because he's been up there in the elevated events with Rory and Rom. So um, what that tells me is some of the stats that I sort of isolated and, and looped in there and created a greater value for this week. Uh, Scotty does really well. Rory's the interesting one. I too, like you, had a bet on Rory last week. I thought we could get there. I really thought he was making that putt on 18, but it's back-to-back years. So I had I bet Rory at the players last year, um, and I had this thought process that he played well at Bay Hill. He did not like the course setup, and he was going to a place in Sawgrass that was going to be served on a platter necessarily for him. This is the PGA Tour's preeminent tournament. Um, he is that preeminent player. He is the voice of the PGA Tour. It's time to serve Daddy what he wants to eat is kind of what I was thinking. So when they pull that off, it's exactly what he wants for dinner. The conditions are going to be ideal. You can expect 18 to 20 birdies and eagles out there. Um, it's time for Rory. I, I should probably have the same sense this year, given he was T2 at Bay Hill. Um, but I don't know why I'm just not feeling it, man. Yeah, it, it's you're we're splitting hairs here, obviously. But and and Rory's been phenomenal. The 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 way the rate in which he gains 10 strokes to the field is is um unmatched on the rest of the tour. I do think one thing is interesting, and we have seen this, and Rory's very, very open with his with his interviews and and with the state of his game is Something like you're just describing, we're going back to Sawgrass. Cam Smith is defending champion who nobody wants to win this golf tournament this week more than Rory McIlroy and just say we can be done showing commercials from two years ago. We'll just show the Rory McIlroy commercials moving forward Um, when he like it's a lot harder for him to play free golf when he does that. Right. And and we kind of saw it a little bit on Sunday uh, last week. You know, he's six shots out. He's seven shots out. He doesn't have to, he can just play free and loose and he goes out and he makes a bunch of birdies and then 14 comes around and it's like, ah, man, he made him. I, I just, I just feel like if he's going to do it, 
that come from behind style is the way that he's going to have to do it, which is kind of crazy because he's historically um, one of the best front runners that we've had in golf. But John Rahm is here. Scotty Scheffler is here. The guys that we haven't even talked about own a lot of win equity. I'm splitting hairs to the top. I love Rory. I hope he wins, but I, I do not believe I'll get to him. Yeah. So last week I, I think Rory was, was, um, about to tee off on nine and I kind of, as having a pretty big bet on Roy, I jokingly like tweeted like five back heading into the back nine, like got him right where we want him in like three <laughs> holes true. later. Yeah. He had the lead. It's true. I mean, he just, there, there's this thing he's, you know, I don't know if you've, if you've ever had a chance to, to be out there, he is so aware during a round, you know, he sees everyone in the crowd. John Rahm's the total opposite. He's so aware of what's happening. He'll, he'll talk with people. He will, he, he knows every moment he's looking around and seeing scores that are rolling in. He's hearing all the, all the, the, the cheers and the jeers. He's hearing everything. And I think when he is like, when he feels like he's out of it or he feels like he can just sun run it, it he turns into a completely different golfer. It's special to watch. I just wish he, I wish he, I mean, it's a, it's a, an impossible ask, but like, give me that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Justin Thomas kind of has a little bit of that in him at 20 to one, obviously he had one here in 2021. If you go back, um, you know, with the exception of cam and some of the other live guys who are no longer in this, do you think, all right, let me ask you this before we get to JT cam Smith, the videos making its way around the internet where he like wants to show up. If you think he, if he shows up, mm-hmm. is he going to be allowed in the gates? Yeah. Stop him? No, we'll let him in because, um, it's way worse if they, if they stop him. Yeah. Right. Totally. Like if they, if, if, cause if, a, cause a video would come out of them being like, no, no cam, you can't come in or we're kicking you out. That He's would be like, such I paid a 160 look. for my ticket. Yeah. It would be such a bad look that they would have to let him walk around. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think he will. I don't, he does not come off to me as the type of guy who wants that, like a thousand people following him around and like phone in face for the entire day. But yeah. I, I, if the tour, I think it'd be a really bad look if they like tried to keep him out. <laughs> Um, back to JT though. Um, so positive week last week off the tee, which was encouraging positive week with the irons. You and I had talked about it long before that, um, when his biggest strength had not seemingly been there, um, the struggles we, you, you, we could see why they were happening. Anything last week, because he wasn't good around the green, which he's been one of the best on tour that you could see a bounce back spot and a great, great course history spot in terms of strokes gain total at this place, particularly the last five or six years. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty close on JT. The the problem is, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to bet Scotty and Justin Thomas. So if I if I mm-hmm. did forego the top of the board, I I would likely start with JT. You know, there there's this idea. It's not an idea. I mean, the the math bears out that that I believe this is a, a pretty big ball striking paradise. And you look at other golf courses in which those two skill sets, the approach play and off the tee, are also required. And JT just like shreds all these golf courses, and 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 he is um, trending in the right direction. My only concern is always going to be the putter, Joe. I mean, he, he the, the flat stick that he's using right now is so unforgiving and you can see it out there. It, it is just like he looks do you mean lost. the particular model of the putter or what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, both the model and the way that he the way that he carries the putter. So um, huh. I had an opportunity to chat with John Graham, who's working with him a couple of weeks ago, Tory Pines. And it's just, you know, he holds the putter like Tiger holds the putter, like very much like in his fingers. And like, I'm not sure that that is something that you would teach a lot of these guys in the current setup that he has. It's just it's like very, very unforgiving. And um, we're going to, you know, it, it, it gives him a lot of feedback on his putting stroke is what it does. It's basically like playing blades. And I just, 
watch him over so many six, seven, eight footers, and it, it, they never look like they're going to sniff the hole. Um, but man, this is just the absolute perfect setup for him. So if 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 I do find a way to forego Scotty, it'll start here with JT. Otherwise, uh, JT is just going to be a casualty of the way that I build my cards. But do do love the outlook for him. Okay, uh, moving on to the range right beyond that. Homa twenty two to one, Xander twenty six, Colin twenty eight, um, Victor sits right behind them at twenty eight. Tony Finau, 30, Jason Day at 33. I'll stop right there. I have two in this range, Rick. Um, yep. It's Xander Shoffley. It's Colin Morikawa. Those were the two first two that I picked. I'm squeamish about Xander, but I've it's been very, very close, I feel like. His off the tee has really come around. The ball striking has been great. He's giving himself a ton of looks at birdie you know as well as i do i have him on my season long team so i've been following him closely and i've i've had this sense of frustration watching him not only in phoenix but at riv and then last week where it's it's close and you feel like it's time for him to just hit the gas and he doesn't um i think it could come and this would be like but if you rule out the olympics like this is a career making tournament we've seen it for so many guys would obviously be the biggest payday i think that it's the closest thing next to a major championship that he could nab and then collins the one i i surprisingly feel a little bit more confident about even though he played terrible last week i think so justin thomas has had a couple of sunday charges right where he he crept into the top 5 in phoenix and he played okay at riv and last week like 21st we give him a little bit of credit for that that we don't necessarily give to Colin because he's blown it in a couple of chances. But if you right. look at the finishes, second at Century, third at Farmer, sixth at Genesis, like if you forget that what happened over the last five holes and you just look at those finishes, he is actually very close. I like it looks like the rough is going to be up a little bit here. Players since this thing moved to March have been taking driver a lot more here because of the softer conditions. Um, I think that can get some guys into trouble with the rough is up. I'm not really worried about it with Colin. I would like to see the iron play sharpen a little bit. The putter hasn't necessarily been there, um, but those are my two picks. But I worry, I sit here and worry as much as I talk about Max Homa that we're once again just overlooking him um, and, and not giving him a chance when he's proven to be one of the top guys. Yeah. So what's great about this range is like everybody feels pretty viable. You know, the, the, <laughs> I, I lump Colin and, and uh, Justin Thomas together where I've got I've got a bunch of questions. I'm not sure I necessarily have a bunch of answers. If you want to bet Colin, like I like I'm fine with betting JT. So I'm fine with betting Colin. If I was fine with betting Colin, I'd be fine with bet, betting JT. Uh, Xander, I again, I just I think he's fine. I, I'm not going to rush to the window. The Max Homa thing's pretty interesting. Um, what's the best number we have on Max right now? 25? Uh, 22 to 1 is over at bet 365 right now. On I, would, I mean, it's it's pretty respectful and it should be. So so there are these golf courses. So I'm not going to – I won't spoil the whole thing. I'm sending out my newsletter tomorrow. But the there are these ball-striking places, TPC Sawgrass, um, Quail Hollow, TPC Potomac, and a couple of others. Uh, 
Max Homa's won at both of those places, right? It's just like when you list the courses that require great ball striking and then you go and look at the results of those golf courses uh, for how those players have done, Max Homa's name kind of jumps off the screen at you. So that's that's the one that I'm worried about that I, I probably won't end up getting to. And then, um, you know, I, I've got a 30 on Victor, which is just this progression of ball striking numbers. Yes, the, the around the green play uh, is an issue. The ball striking numbers are getting better week in and week out. And this is a place that he just shredded last year off the tee and on approach. So I'm I'm going to go back to him, obviously, one more time. So my, my card likely starts um, Scotty at 11, Victor at 30, and then I've got some decisions to make after that. But there's, there's so many great options here, Joe. Yeah, Jason Day is an intriguing one. I was hoping to get, and I missed some better numbers that were available. I don't love it at 33 to 1. Um, right beyond you, you met like that thing was kind of teed up very nicely for Victor last week to come through on it. Um, he, but he's playing great. You're right. The numbers have definitely turned around going down the board a little bit. Spieth 35 to one Fitz 35 Hatton 35 Zalatoris 35 to one Cam Young, Sung JM, Tom Kim, all at 40 to one. Um, I kind of want a little bit of like a shove to bet Jordan Spieth. Mm. Do you, can you provide that for me or are you not in on him? Um, I, th- he's the guy I get wrong the most, so I'm not okay. sure you, or maybe just do the opposite. I'm, I'm kind of out, you know, even, even last week, you know, he, he gets hot to get in the thing. He should have won it. He looks so uncomfortable. I, I love the data, but I, I cannot overlook the fact how uncomfortable he looks with the putter. I mean, when you are hitting putts and walking after them one second after they're off the club face, whether they go in or not, Joe is like a huge problem. So no, it won't be speed for me. I think the one uh, in this range, honorable mention to Terrell Hatton, honorable mention to Matthew Fitzpatrick, Cam Young showed me a lot last week. Yeah. And um, to me, his stat profile looks like a golfer who's, who's plugging his leaks. He's still great in the ball striking categories. He was finally good again around the greens at Bay Hill. The only thing left that he has to plug is the putter. I think he's pretty close to putting it all together. So that would be the one that stands out to me statistically. But yeah, like Terrell pulls at my heartstrings. Matt Fitzpatrick pulls at my heartstrings. I just don't think I'll end up betting it. What about Tom Kim? Um, John brings up a good point in the chat here where he said, Tom Kim having Ricky's former caddy on the bag, pull more weight than Tom Kim never playing the players before. We saw how it worked out for Kitayama, which is a great point because I had kind of forgotten that Bryson had won Bay Hill a few years ago and, and he had his former caddy there. Um, Tom's kind of, it feels like, you know, Rick, we do the we do the uh, stock market DFS show for Jock Market every Wednesdays. It feels like the stock on Tom Kim, <laughs> the price point for entry has kind of dropped a little bit and he's still playing pretty good golf. Is this a time you can maybe see buying back in? Yeah, this is pretty interesting. So the way that uh, Cam Smith won this event last year was was with the putter. He gained like 11 strokes putting. Um, Tom Kim is capable of doing something like that, right? We've seen him <laughs> get very hot. And I think the the signs of finally getting back and gaining four strokes in the ball striking categories at Bay Hill is a really good sign last week. I mean, that was a great stat profile that he laid out. If you think that playing out of the fairway is going to be important, if you think that um, like just because he ha- he's not winning two out of every six starts, you think Tom Kim is falling. Like, I think you're wrong there. I, I, he'll, he'll be, he'll be just fine. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I do think it is. I do think there's an interesting caddy connection as well. It just it just gives you an extra level of uh, comfort, a little extra level of confidence, and a little a little extra homework being done uh, before the tournament. What do you make to the narrative? Because Pat brought this up, and I saw people comment on it when I did his players preview show. That Tom Kim, um, this is a better course for him because he doesn't lack. He lacks a little bit of the pop off the tee. Now, if you look at driving distance numbers, you know, he comes in right around three hundred yards, and the other guys maybe five yards longer on the distance. But we kind of associate this narrative with him um, that he can't hit it far enough to compete at some of the bigger courses. Do you see that play out? Because the way I kind of see it, Rick, is like. The really where it matters is when you have certain carry distances off the tee where you can eliminate certain bunkers and dog legs. That's where the difference is. It's not consistently hitting it seven yards longer off the tee. It's the fact that if you have a bunker out there at 300, if you're Rory McIlroy, if you're Cam Smith, you can take it right over that. Yeah, so golf is a math problem. Right. And some guys play the math problem a little bit differently. Rory plays the math problem by driving it over the bunker and having a wedge in Tom Kim plays it by hitting it in the middle of the two bunkers and, uh, you know, hitting eight iron in, and it is proving that yes, despite his lack of pop off the tee, he's like better than almost everybody else in a lot of other categories and on approach, he just shifts his math problem. Denny McCarthy does it with the putter, right? Taylor Montgomery yeah. does it with the putter and a little bit of distance. Everybody's math problems a little bit different. The, the staring at it's like, it's like Tom Kim is wearing a, you know, a, a bright white shirt and he has one stain on it, one stain that it's, it's driving distance and we cannot stop looking at this one stain on an otherwise pristine shirt. But we look at this guy who's got so many stains on his shirt that it's all one color. And we think, Oh, this guy's great over here. Right. It's just like, it's a different vibe. Tom, Tom Kim's great. I don't care how far he hits it. That was a great analogy. I might <laughs> click that Alex, before we leave this range said Spieth was a heartbreaker yesterday. Yes, he was, Alex. I didn't have it, but if you've been betting speed, I don't think that you should hop off. I've noticed some really positive trends, particularly with his iron play. Now, he let a couple slip, but he had his best performance of his career um, with a sixth-place finish at Phoenix. He was good last week. Three consecutive weeks now where he's gaining strokes tee to green, um, I think is extremely positive for him, even though even in the midst of a missed cut at the Genesis. And you mentioned he, he looks very uncomfortable with the putter, but – Gosh, he changed his stance up a little bit. It, you're right. It does not look comfortable at all. He's more hunched over. He's like bent at the knees, but he gained 1.4 strokes putting. I like if he can just keep the iron play consistent and figure that thing out one week. Um, even though this hasn't been a good golf course for him, I feel like from a DraftKings perspective, um, depending on his ownership, like he might be a guy that that I'm willing to push some stuff on this week. Um, moving into that sort of next range, 50 to one and, and above, like this is where we've actually seen a good bit of winners come in from at the players championship. You've got Keegan Bradley, Lowry, Mitchell, Fowler at 60 to one, Corey Connors, who had a couple good rounds last week at 60 to one, Sahith 70, Siwoo 70, previous champion, Chris Kirk, Sam Burns, Hideki, Hideki at 85 to one. Like it's, it, you see this every week. It seems like you get 10 more points on the odds board. What does he got to do to turn this around? Uh, unfortunately, probably a lot. I mean, he's been so bad. He was, he had one of his worst driving performances ever last week. I mean, the putters all over. I, I, I got to, I mean, I bet him last week and you're right. Yeah. I think I got him at 66. I got 14 more points this week. And it's like, 
even a tougher pill to swallow. I got to admit, Joe, like I'm already, I'm already like kind of worried about this part of the board, right? Like I'm, I, I just think that yes, we've seen some longer shots win this before, but I feel like the tour has never been this deep at the top before, and mm-hmm. and that kind of worries me. I mean, I, I will say. Um, you know, who can, who can actually win in a field this good? I, I believe it or not. I think Keegan Bradley can, he won, he won the Zozo. He's playing the best golf of his life and he's been great here. Do I think Keith Mitchell can probably not. Right. I mean, he was just kind of in the mix recently. Uh, that was at Riv, right? He was in the final group with, I walked with him. I was in the final group with Homa and Rom, I believe. And he yeah. was invisible. It, he didn't exist. He never, never once did anyone in the world think Keith Mitchell was going to win that golf tournament. Not even mm-hmm. Keith. That's the way it felt. Um, do I think he can actually win this? Probably not. I hope I'm wrong. Can Sam Burns actually win it? Sam Burns has been horrible. But if Sam Burns gives us his 96th percentile performance, yeah, he could. I'm not going to bet it. But, like, yes, he could. Hideki, yes, he could. I-, I don't know how many guys here, Joe, I can actually say that about. Yeah, Sam Burns is one of those. I I actually think Siwoo can win it. Sure, um, Siwoo. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, he has. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of more Siwoo is more Keith Mitchell than he is Sam Burns. I would say, if that makes sense. But at the same token, he's got his spots. He's found this um, a lot of the sticky course history spots in terms of you look at Heritage, you look at Wyndham, you look at yeah. PGA West. He's done it here. He won um, like six I, starts ago, Joe. Yeah, in, in <laughs> like of any place, fortune favors the bold. Like Siwoo is that guy to a T where he's going to go for it. So yes, he's probably uh, has a 50% chance to miss the cut this week. But if he's in the top 10 on Sunday, you can trust that he's going to go for every last bit of it to try and make that run on some of those holes, which we mentioned, which reward really challenging but good shots and he's got a great around the green game and he's picked it up a little bit with the putter as well when switching to that longer um longer shafted putter yeah and i think this this to kind of go back to a conversation we were having earlier i think in past years i would have clicked burns's name and hideki's name and adam scott's name and francesco molinari's name because i think they're all undervalued but i don't know if they can actually win the golf tournament so this is where i would take those guys and go check their top 20 numbers or go check their top 10 numbers or something like that. Like Molinari should not be 130 to one, but he's not going to win this golf tournament. So who really cares in the outright market, right? Adam Scott, hundred to one. I think he's undervalued. I think he should be like 60, but he's probably not going to win the golf tournament. So it doesn't really matter. So this, this is where I've, I feel like I've done a better job this year of reassessing my expectations, finding guys who can actually win. And the guys that can't, that I think are undervalued, finding other ways to get them, whether it's other markets, whether it's DFS, whether it's jock market, whatever, just give me a chance to get them in other markets. Yeah. Finding other ways to sort of get that. I I like that. um, I like that sort of analogy and that thought process. Um, Another one out here, just to kind of talk about a few long shots, even if it is in the placement market, um, I don't mind a little bounce back from Tom Hoagie. He misses some cuts. Of course he does. He just missed a cut at the Arnold Palmer. He missed a cut at Phoenix where a lot of people like him. Um, But if you can get him through the cut line, he plays pretty damn well. At Genesis, a 14th, um, obviously played really well at Century to open the season. Um, Some other good finishes through the fall at Shriners and Zozo. We know what a good wedge player he is. He's had some success here. And another one, like, I don't know that this... If you're looking at just the specs of a golf course, I don't know that this really makes much sense with Sentry. But if you look, I noticed this with like the guys who 
have won, right? The year that Rory won the Players' Championship, he finished third at Century that year. The year that Justin Thomas won, he was in a playoff at Century. Obviously, Cam Smith last year won both. Um, Colin Morikawa finished second this year, John Rahm first, obviously, but Tom Hoagie was third in that event. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe just having these wedges into your hands quite a bit, maybe there, there just seems to be some crossover on the leaderboard there. And at 130 to one, I think is a guy that you can, if you want to look for a top 20 bet, um, he seems to get that done quite often. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's like Wyndham Clark is here. Wyndham Clark yeah, has it. Hasn't missed the cut since Vegas. Has been playing awesome, and and the same, the opposite of Keith Mitchell. So he was in Phoenix. He was on the weekend with I think it was Rom and Scotty or Rom and Homers. It was two big, two huge names, and he didn't blink, and he never gave it up, and it like it never felt like he was out of his league, right? Like you see some of these guys who start playing really fast when they have to play with John Rahm and, and, and there's, and there's thousands of people. Wyndham Clark was just vibing. He was in his moment. He was doing his thing. He's playing well. He stripes the ball like that. That's a guy that I'm like, Oh, way undervalued at, I don't know, 150 or 180 to one, but go get me another market on him. Yeah, Montgomery, Webb Simpson right there with them. Any thoughts on either one of those guys? Montgomery had an incredible fall on Webb. Like, is it too soon? Too soon to call a turnaround for Webb? I love Webb, but six holes does not make a, a, a season. Six holes does not make two years. I mean, we are in a we are in a pretty bad prolonged stretch from Webb. Does making five or six birdies in a row at Bay Hill on Sunday erase all of that? For me, the answer is no. Um, I I would be thrilled to be wrong. I hope Webb has a great week. Montgomery, I'm a a little bit more bullish on. We knew there was going to be putting regression at some point, but we also know, Joe, that he is not necessarily a one-trick pony, and he kind of got smacked in the face with a couple of bad events um, as as fields got more difficult for him, but now it seems like he's okay. So let me find my stride a little bit here. I played well at Bay Hill. Let me see if I can figure this out. So um, I'm I'm a little bit more bullish on Montgomery than I am for for Weber for this week. Okay, the last guy I'm going to mention here, just because I threw it out there this morning, um, Adam Svensson's 340 to one. You know this is my boy. Um, this is a short course, right? It's barely over 7,200 yards. That's been his like staple for me when looking at Svensson for like a year now is like is it under like 7,400 yards okay then yes I like him because that puts the clubs in his hands that he's typically the best with Um, he's still a flusher of the golf ball he still had good finishes at the Honda he played well at 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 Riviera randomly he won an event um, not too far from Jacksonville actually Um, this past fall you actually were we're at that event and, and made a quick drive to play the neighboring course of Jacksonville. So it ain't that far away, man. Your boy's done it. And 340 to one, if you're looking for like a decent top 20 bet, um, I think that when those numbers come out, if you can see in like the odds up there at 300, you'll get a decent price on it. Yeah. He's um, it's funny. I think to, to close the loop on Tim Tucker, um, when yeah, Tim what Tucker happened first, there? yeah, when they first, broke up him and Bryson he was on Svensson's bag which which shows you what like 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 Tim, a guy like Tim Tucker just doesn't grab anybody's bag right he yeah. grabs a bag of somebody that he believes in <laughs> and that's Svensson it's Kitayama both those guys have won I'm pretty sure those are the only two guys he's caddied for since yeah. he bro- broke up with Bryson so I think Tim Tucker's got a pretty good sense on talent Tim Tucker man we got to pay close attention if he grabs somebody else's bag we got to just make sure to bet him until he every wins. week yeah exactly 
Listen, man, um, thank you. I enjoyed it as always. I will be with you uh, once again on Wednesday night to talk Jock Market Power Hour. Um, what a pleasure to have you on as a recurring guest, man. Uh, what else you got lined up for this week, sort of content-wise, where people can find some more of your great stuff? Yeah, DFS preview is already out on the Rick Runger YouTube channel. Do a betting preview on Tuesday and then a live chat on Wednesday. And then you and I will do the um, do the Jock Market Power Hour Wednesday night. Pretty, pretty standard week for me, but... Um, yeah, just stoked, man. The, the All these tournaments feel so much bigger now. I, I love that. Yeah, dude. It's going to be another big one this week. You keep crushing it, Rick Gaiman. Um, you have been the absolute man and, and a huge help to me and a supporter since the very start. And I genuinely appreciate uh, your professionalism and your, your friendship, man. It's been great to know you. And thank you once again for coming on Preferred Lines. You're the man. Yeah, of course, brother. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Talk soon, buddy. All right, buddy. All right, guys. Um, appreciate you guys hanging with us. Hopefully, you got some good stuff there. Svensson, keep an eye on that one. I'm trying to pull up um, here. I'm trying to pull up like a randomizer here where I can pick a winner. Here we go. So this is a random number generator. Let me see how many. If you're still in here, um, quickly now drop your... Drop your username for Twitter in the chat. You got to be subscribed to Preferred Lines YouTube page, by the way. If you're not subscribed, I'm going to DQ you and give it to the next one that I pick. Um, but each person, based on when they put their handle in the chat here, is going to be assigned a number. So I'm going to go add up the total of them now, and I'm going to pick a winner. And I'm going to send you that lovely Sawgrass poster that's right behind me. So you can put it up in your office. Um, it is a great addition. This one's actually a little bit bigger, so I hope that you enjoy it. Um, a couple of seconds here left to do that. Tyler just got in. Alex is in. Anthony's in. Lakers Taylor, my boy Dan, is in here. Of course he is. Um, Fire Sports lives in Jupiter. What's up, buddy? You can save me on some shipping. Yeah, I'll drop it off, man. I'm not too far away. Um, thank you guys so much for supporting the show. I, I kind of hit a, a personal milestone for me in sort of crossing uh, 10,000 followers this past weekend. So that was awesome to sort of see. Um, I thank you guys for that support. I couldn't have done it without uh, all of your guys' help and sort of sharing with a friend. I have no, you know, besides my voice at Fantasy Golf Pod, you're not going to hear a lot of ad reads. You're not going to hear a lot of sponsors. I try to do this on my own. I make all my content uh, free and available in terms of posting picks and stuff like that on the card. So being able to share in the journey with you guys is, is what makes it uh, very important and special to me. So thank you all. Okay, here we go. Random number generator. Generate result um, 15. So let me go in the chat here. One, two, three, four, five. Hold on. I'm going to get there. Six, seven. Eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Ted, what's up, man? You are the winner of the poster. Finn's fanatic. I wonder if you're a Dolphins fan. You might save me on a little bit of shipping there. I will go back and make sure that I got that correct. Congrats to you. Um, I'm happy to, happy to sort of send that to you. Thank you all again for being here. Um, check this out. Little crew neck sweatshirt for Augusta. 
magnolia flowers in the logo. I'm going to have these available soon. If you have any other ways that you'd like to support the show, of course, reach out to me. Enjoy the Players' Championship, uh, one of the best events that you'll see on year in terms of TV viewing, in terms of the amount of coverage, the amount of featured groups, the amount of players that you will have access to see every single golf shot of them perform. Um, it is one and only one of the greatest events on tour in terms of of actual taking in of the content and the viewing of golf for four straight days. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for checking out the show. Make sure to like, sub, share with a friend, retweet, whatever you want to do on the way out. This has been Preferred Lines. My name is Joe Idoni. Thank you once again. I'll talk to you all next week. Peace out.